Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. Tarek, nice to have you back. I know. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, yeah, what, what what have you been up to? Nothing major, I don't think. Nothing major. Um, had a baby, moved house, uh, and put a book out. Uh, <laughs> Just quite, like, like I said, nothing major. <laughs> yeah, so it's been it's great to be back. It's been, obviously, I'm sure... I've not even bothered listening to the last few episodes because I'm sure they'll be absolute crap. So I apologise to the listeners. But don't worry, normal service. <laughs> you you were in the main part of those episodes, Derek. Oh, that part was awesome. I just <laughs> made the intro. Okay. <laughs> um, if this is your first episode of the Page One Podcast, thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast. We always like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And uh, there's a lot of great authors, screenwriters, comic writers, journalists, video game writers, all te- all kinds of writers. So have a look at the back catalogue and I'm sure there'll be some you want to listen to. But um, as Tarek has alluded to there, uh, he has just released his very first novel. Uh, it's currently sitting at number one in the Amazon private... Inve- what, what's the category? In the private investigator mysteries category, yes. number one. It's currently number 27 in the Kindle store, which is quite There you go. So, That's what you want. So what is it called, Tarek? Welcome to Cooper, and it's a super amazing crime drama set in a small town in Cooper. So if you're a fan of Mayor of East Town or True Detective, that sort of thing, that's the kind of jam that you'll get. And it's um, it's out right now on Kindle First Reads or Amazon Prime First Reads. But on the 1st of October, if you're not a Prime subscriber, it's open to everybody. So you can either jump in now as a Prime reader and get there before anyone else with bragging rights. <laughs> Or you can wait a month. But and it's, it's, on way, it's on Audible as well. So an Audible, Audible paperback and Kindle version. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so very excited about that. It's been a wee, I'm thinking we'll spend the next three weeks just refreshing the sales to see <laughs> yeah, how I, badly I, and well it's I, I have uh, had the opportunity to read it and I'm sad to, sad to say that it is actually very, very good. <laughs> I can't really say anything bad about it. <laughs> yeah. So no, it is. Yeah, I'll get that after. No, no, it's genuinely great. So if you are into sort of Mayor of Easttown, true detective, dark, gritty detective stories, check that out. Highly recommend it. But enough about you, Tarek. Enough about me. Let's talk about today's guest. Yes. Who is Catherine Quinn, who is a best-selling fiction author. She's also a travel writer and she's written... She's quite a number of books. She's written erotica. She's written historical thrillers. And now she's jumped into kind of contemporary thrillers. As you might know, C.S. Quinn for her historical stuff and Kate Quinn's are writing for her modern stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really fun chat. And she's done a hell of a lot of stuff, including a, a scary food blog. Yeah, we chat about that, about the horrible food. In fact, yeah, <laughs> if, you're, if you're vegetarian, you may not want to listen to that <laughs> bit of the... Bit of the podcast towards or a, the end, or a dog lover. Yeah, I know that's not something I. It, that got worse with each each passing <laughs> word. The description yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it, it's it's a really fun chat and really interesting because obviously yeah, she really started fun. out in journalism and then has has written all these different kinds. Done a bit of self publishing, got into publishing, written history, uh, sorry, historical uh, fiction, and then now contemporary fiction with her latest book, Black Widows, which is just out in paperback. So um, we will get straight into that after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. 
Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I know you have a background in journalism. I did always, always want to be a writer since I can remember since the very first what do you want to do with your life type question at school. I remember age six or something drawing a picture of myself at a desk saying writer. And I've since discovered my mother had some slightly strange plan She'd read that thing about that you can make any child into anything, the chess playing. I don't know if you've come across that. There was a, there was a man who decided he could make his daughters anything and they all became chess masters. And she had this bizarre plan. To make, I don't know if she wanted to make us writers, but she, she read us like a ton of books. That was her thing. All right, okay. So turns out she told me this when my kids are way over the hill. For this kind of <laughs> invention, do they have chess chess masters now? They're they're past the point, are they? I, I don't. Well, yeah, I think you've got to start them. You know, they, they've got to be handling chess pieces in the. In the <laughs> you're, you're you're in there. You've got a small baby. You could. Start I might just. I'm going to see. I tell me more about this technique. I need to. I need to yeah. give a chance. I could live through but, my childhood. It's fantastic. Start now. <laughs> so, in answer to your question, yes, I did always want to be a writer, um, and. But but maybe <laughs> maybe with some 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 help parental help <laughs> and and so as I said you, you have a background in journalism how how did you get into that sure okay um so like probably many writers I was very underconfident in my ability to get published and saw the whole getting published industry as as very intimidating and also I come from a sort of lower middle working class sort of family and I either intuitively knew or had a chip on my shoulder about the fact that the publishing industry was run by a class that was um that I didn't really speak the language of um so I always had that kind of going on that if I, and not necessarily completely incorrectly actually that I, I just didn't speak that but there was a certain grammar and etiquette that, that I, was a bit alien to me so I went into journalism in order to write which I love doing more than anything um to be able to write every day and that was kind of good enough you know just to be able to, to do that and 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 being a journalist is a, a fun job um but I did always what was always kind of scribbling away in the background trying to write things but never quite had the confidence to, to sort of finish a book or send one off and maybe quite rightly because I think some of my earlier books were not particularly good uh, and, you know, some might say some of my later books not particularly good but but certainly <laughs> the, um, <laughs> certainly my earlier books were you know it was very much a learning did, did you try and do anything with those earlier books though or did you just sort of use them as an exercise and say right I'm not going to send this in I'll, I'll move on to the next one yeah kind of kind of that kind of I I thought I'm not going to send them in I think I sent one to one agent and I think as a journalist I didn't it's only looking back I understand this but as a journalist actually I think you are more of a potential commodity to agents so they will preferentially look at your work I didn't that didn't occur to me at the time Mm -hmm. but it seemed quite obvious now that someone who's in the industry who's writing and potentially has contacts yeah. you know to, to sort of advertise but um so someone did look at it it was I had an idea it was about a party where no one could remember what happened at the party um but it, it wasn't a good book and I, one agent looked at it and 
very kindly didn't sort of tactfully didn't reply <laughs> and I did chase it and he kind of tactfully because he got back quite quickly you know so we'll send it in and then you know immediately was like oh <laughs> radio silence so yeah that was a learning experience and what was it about the so the book that you then did get some traction with what was it about that book that was different than your previous efforts Ah, well, that's a funny story, really, because I wrote a book called The Thief Taker, which was a murder mystery set in uh, London, 16th century London during plague time. I had an absolute ball writing that book. I just could not stop writing it. It was was such an amazing, fun thing to write. And very quickly got quite a big agent, like the MD of Curtis Brown took it on. It was very exciting. Um, But I hadn't really finished the book (laughs) really written the beginning um because I was a journalist and as a journalist you pitch an idea and if someone's interested in the idea you then go and do the legwork and submit you know so this was kind of my style um so I I finished the rest of the book but I'm sure in my youthful arrogance didn't um really do it justice and he sent it out to a, a lot of people and and they all said no, I think a few said there are some good bits, but mm. no, <laughs> there was a lot of no's. Um, and then he kind of quite lost lost interest in in me, really. Like very quickly, I was kind of talking to him via his secretary. You know, I was kind of like I would email him, and his secretary would <laughs> kind of email me back. Um, so uh, whilst that was happening, Fifty Shades of Grey came out, right? Big book. And um, my sister, who was doing some self-publishing at the time, for, I don't know why she did it. Um, well, no, I think I did a money-making exercise, um, wrote a kind of Fifty Shades of Grey sort of knockoff because it was like, it was like kind of the writer's equivalent of the stock market in the 80s. You know, it was yeah. like there was just so much like traction out there. Mm-hmm. So she wrote this book um, and got horrible reviews for it and was so embarrassed that she nearly just took it down. But my sister being my sister, amazing writer, by the way, um, she very bravely uh, kept on with it. And I think did pull some, some strings some, some strings to get some uh, reviews for that book, not necessarily legitimately, but we'll gloss over that. <laughs> and the book after those bad reviews, she got a handful of terrible reviews. And then after that, actually went on to do really well mm-hmm. sold really really well and she said to me look you should just write one of these books these kind of erotica type books they're very quick to write um <clears throat> and and people just buy them you know like in in there so so I wrote a book um so I read Fifty Shades of Grey and I kind of absorbed the plot um and the mainstay of the book which seemed to me to be mostly dating actually like 90% dating and I wrote a book about an actress and a director, which followed broadly the same uh, structure. You know, yeah, yeah, the same structure, and published it, and it did like insanely well. There was like this really, and so I wrote another one. I wrote another, so I wrote four in like a month. It took me a month each. Wow! And it was like you know, money fights in the office. It was like such a fun, like weird, like oh god, I can't believe I'm making all this money from these yeah. books. Um, it was brilliant. And you'll never hear me say a bad word about Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, perversely, publishers were interested in my historical novel, completely different type of novel, Um, not related in any way. But so that, so then that was um, offered on by two publishers. I had a different agent at this point as well. I moved agents. Um, So, so did you did you have an agent? while you were doing this self-publishing stuff as well did you have an agent at that point you know I can't I don't think I did and I think I was sort of I I kind of the agent so the the Curtis Brown agent Mm -hmm. who'd obviously kind of lost interest I I sort of wasn't really very happy with sort of just kicking around being yeah so I kind Mm -hmm. of thought I'll, I'll move on I don't know I'm not quite sure what the time frame of that was but I've got an amazing agent who's a very dear friend of mine has been with me for, for 10 years Piers Blofeld who I who I adore and has always been a really wonderful champion of my books um through you know some hard times as well as good times um 
And he, so yeah, I can't quite remember how that timeline stacked up, but certainly he went to publishers with that kind of, oh, look, she's published mm-hmm. this erotica romance book and here is her, her historical fiction. So did you put the erotica novel out under a pseudonym or did you use your actual Yeah, name? yeah, I put it under um, J.S. Taylor. I thought that was kind of a... An like E.L. James, yeah, yeah. Glamorous yeah. name. What, what, <laughs> was that because you wanted to try and create like a like a test like environment to see how you could do or was it because you just were a bit embarrassed with reading it and then and then that kind of not prudishness but that i would be i would have be embarrassed yeah yeah well there's a bit of cover isn't it like for sure for sure there was a bit of embarrassment about um you know it's good to have a name to hide behind isn't it and i think and i think with the pseudonym thing like no one actually and if you're self-publishing under a pseudonym no one need ever know you know, it's not like you have to ever have another human being <laughs> know your identity, actually. So that's quite comforting in, in many ways. Subsequently, obviously, people did, in the publishing re- industry, did read those books, which is yeah, kind of embarrassing. I suppose you're there, but then when it's successful, you want, it's like, it becomes a different thing, isn't it? It's like, it's yes. one thing writing Take the mask a off. novel where it's like, it Yeah, totally. No, it was still a bit embarrassing because... Um, you know, you're writing to a formula and that formula is not necessarily, well, you guys write novels, you guys write characters, your characters that you write is not you. No, exactly. Or or your life or your um, wants, needs, whatever. Um, But when you write um, books that include sex scenes, people almost always assume that that's, you know, the kind of sex that you're having for. Yeah, totally, yeah. So... So, yeah, and, and also um, my sister, I think around about the same time she was doing these novels. So some people, and I have never read my sister's erotica novels. Okay. Like, <laughs> I ever want to, and vice versa. Um, and, but there were some people in the publishing industry who read both of them, which is kind of mortifying because I have a horrible feeling there would be some similarities. <laughs> um, and, you know, let's just not even, not even go there. But, um, yeah, so, and, and Piers, my agent, I, I, I think has, has read both. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a friend of mine. It was a long time ago. <laughs> did, did, did you, did you have to do any marketing or anything of, for the self-published novels yourself? Or did you, you know, is it the sort of thing that, once you get onto the list, then it can sort of creep up itself based just on the reviews that people are giving. Uh, so a bit of both, but I did do some marketing and I think the more it's like um, when you're self-publishing, the more it sells, the more you're motivated to do because it's mm-hmm. like that dopamine hit of like seeing it go up the charts, you know, you're kind of like, oh my God, it's there. And then now it's here and it could be. Um, and my partner was was super supportive as well. And he was kind of like, would would kind of log on and see where it is in the charts and we'd all get terribly excited so I did do marketing but um one of the marketing things that I did that I would recommend to to any writer um because I think it's the most effective is at the end of each book I did like a data capture type hey guys if you like the book get in touch I'll send you like for my romance I did like a secret scene like an extra scene because they have a soap opera type quality Mm -hmm. um for my historical books I do like um guess which fact is real guess what guess what I made up and guess what's real history Mm -hmm. because real history is unbelievable um and so whatever means you you do it it, someone then writers would uh give you that email it's very easy to do using a mailchimp system or some sort of mm-hmm. data yeah, yeah. you build an email list and then the next book you email all those people and say my next book's out in the case of the romance what i did was i said my next book's out and because i love you guys and you're my special readers you can have it for 99p but you have to buy it in the next 24 hours yeah and then they all bought but they were extremely price motivated readers mm-hmm. so so you would get this massive surge i think i'm well i know that amazon have stopped that kind of um uh behavior that would not behave you can still do it but they've stopped that unnatural surge in the charts because you can if you get let's say 200 readers to buy at the time you could get it almost to number one really yeah. maybe maybe to number definitely to number 10 i think 
it didn't take that many. And then that position in the charts is like your massive billboard. You know, yeah. like how much would you pay to be number 10 on Amazon? It's like all that, all those views. So I just did that. And then because with the romance, I had a series of books, the, the effect built and built. So when you had two books out, you had the bigger list and then you, more people were invested. They wanted the third book and it, and it went on like that really. So by the time you got the fourth book out, then it went huge in the charts. Then it would back sell all your other books. Then yeah. they would be in the yeah. charts and then you'd have like four books. And then that's massive because people think, Oh, this book must be really good then. Cause there's, I, assume yeah. that's what um, yeah. I would think that there's four of them. So that was the mar- that was the most effective marketing I did. I did do other stuff. I put it on through promo. I did all those. That was effective too, I think. Um, but that it's was funny. The the interaction between author and reader has totally changed in the recent years. You know, it, it, there's a lot more interaction. There's a lot more. You know, here go to Ko-Fi or um, kick, uh, thing. Patreon or whatever you know there's that kind of real interaction that you never used to have when I was younger and it seems to be really important now to be able to connect with your readers in a way that wasn't or at least I didn't realize was important perhaps when I was younger and I wonder if that's something that's just a consequence of so many more authors coming to the scene so many more ways of publishing books and and, and putting your books in people's hands that you need to stand out from the crowd a little bit more do you think so I, I don't know I think it I mean I, I can only speak to me personally because I, I just, if I like an author's book, I read the author's book and I don't really seek to engage with them. I mean, maybe if I saw, I, if there was some sort of event or something, I'd go and hear. I'm the same. I've, I've never engaged with, with, with an author, um, but it's something I keep, I see quite a lot. And I don't know if it's, if it's something that people feel they have to do or if it's something which is maybe not as important as people. Well, maybe I think it's like one model that can be really effective. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, and there's people who do it really, really well. Um, Mark Mark Edwards, who's a lovely guy, does it amazingly well, and and he's just such a nice bloke. And he will be on Twitter, like he's very genuine. Um, I'm really rubbish on Twitter. I just can't get my head around Twitter. I I do Facebook. I don't know if it's my age or or, or what, but I like I I just can't. I go, I'll go on and have little flurries, and I sort of get the idea of it. But I feel it's a bit of a distance to me. I, I, I like to be more kind of able to interact with people and just sort of things like I can't, I, I can't seem to work out the actual basic thing of how to send messages <laughs> <laughs> and so forth. Um, but, um, but some people are really, really good at Twitter. And I think if you build that following, it, it works amazingly, doesn't it? And there's obviously readers who do want that. Yeah, yeah. And and so you after after the, the those first novels you went back to the thief taker and the historical fiction. I mean, what was historical fiction something you always enjoyed reading? What what was the reason behind going down that path? Yeah, I did. I did always enjoy history. I when I, I did an English degree and then English MA actually, and I, and I always gravitated towards history. And I am fascinated in awe of. I love human endeavor through time I just it makes my soul kind of sing I like when I go to like if you get to go to the British Library and pick up old documents yeah. and it's like someone held this someone yeah. wrote this 200 years ago I still it still blows my mind I still go to cities with old buildings and just think someone built that 300 yeah. years ago um so there is that interest but then on a cynical level I also thought I want to write thrillers but um, I'm probably not good enough. There's probably too much competition. And I'm pretty sure, I think I either heard or found out that historical fiction was sort of in demand and undersupplied. So there was a definite sort of more cynical element that I thought, well, if I use, I do have this um, area of kind of expertise. Like if I deploy this, I'll be more likely to get published. But then when I started writing it, it was also so much fun just, just to kind of say like, come with me it's so cool back here yeah. like come and have a look at all this stuff so yeah there was a definite sort of drive to to sort of get through the publishing thing you're writing thrillers as you say historical thrillers and one thing we've we've spoken to other people about when they write historical fiction is you know there's this sort of pull push and pull between authenticity and accuracy and you know you can you can choose to hew very close to the actual events and the real people and 
and you know be be almost uh, a slave to that in terms of your story or you can just you know there are there are great historical novels that put you in the setting you feel the setting you 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 sit you get a complete sense of the setting but the actual accuracy of it is maybe not entirely accurate but it still works as a story what, what what's your approach uh, well, I would try and be um, very accurate, but do you know what I think is is interesting is people think they know what it would have been like mm-hmm. three hundred years ago. So people, so for example, C.J. Sanson would be the you know the king of crime writing, and his novels are incredible and really really well researched. But they're also quite realistic in t- and, you know, in a good way. Yeah. And that's what his readers love, that it's, um, you know, a man with a hunchback and it's those sort of things. So it's like a real life and it's not a hero on a horse, you know, yeah. doing or daring do. Um, and I think the people who read historical fiction tend to be an older audience and they relate to that feeling that it's that it's real. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I think there's a perception that is not necessarily doesn't necessarily tally with what it was really like. I mean, none of us really know. Yeah. I'm amazed by how many reviews I get from people who genuinely know what it was like in 16th century <laughs> London, and they're pretty sure I got it wrong. Um, but like, so I got one review, for example, for my a book called The Scarlet Code, which I wrote, where the heroine. Um, was uh, is uh, bisexual and one of the comments in the reviews was like oh it's a very modern heroine because people just don't really imagine that yeah. you have um bisexual lesbian you know mm-hmm. different sexualities but actually when you skip before victorian people were way less stayed about this sort of stuff and 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 if you read the original documents that that perception of sexuality was far broader and there wasn't that Victorian thing of this is, you know, the devil and, mm-hmm. and whatever. It yeah. was, some people, yes, it was some people had that perception, but some people, aristocrats, were like, it's my body and I'll do what I want with it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, that's a very meandering way of saying <laughs> that I try to be accurate, but um, my books are often not perceived as accurate <laughs> because I think they don't fit, they don't necessarily tick the boxes of what people expect to get yeah. in a historical yeah. novel, which tends to be a cosier kind of mystery, a minor more thrillers, which yeah. sometimes yeah. surprise and upset people who are expecting the particularly canonical, you know, representation of historical life. And do you think your experience of being a travel writer did that really help you find your voice in describing these places? Was that something, is it all kind of connected to your interest in history? Is that all, did it, was there a wealth to draw from from that? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And I still travel places for that, for that feeling because some countries, I mean, when you go to India, you know, there are elements of um, far out in the countryside, you know, you'll see someone using a horse and car. Or, yeah. Or, or, yeah, there are elements that you're, or, or, markets um in developing countries that sort of thing so yeah that kind of hustle and bustle mm-hmm. and the, the the feeling and the sights of the smells of places that don't necessarily have infrastructure or that's all i find that like a really useful resource to kind of try and imagine how that might have relate to a, a different country at the time uh, but more recently you've moved into contemporary thrillers and uh, black widows was it released in paperback yesterday at the time of recording I think is that right, or today, so, yeah. or is it today? First of September. First, um, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what, what made you jump forward in time, as it were? Yeah, uh, I think I did, I did always want to write contemporary thrillers. So the historical thrillers, whilst I enjoyed them, were a bit of a conduit. Um, and I had this idea for this for this book. I, I saw this documentary. Uh, there were a lot of documentaries a while back on polygamy. And everyone's very interested in polygamy, aren't they? Um, and I saw this documentary and was really interested by the kind of the buttoned-down emotions of the wives of these polygamist, I should say religious polygamist married, marriages, rather than just sort of polyamorous type mm-hmm. setups that are more contemporary. And it just seemed like that, that all that emotion boiling below the surface, um, and there was... A, a wife she had this kind of micro expression when she was talking about one of her sister wives one of her fellow wives and it was like 
oh my god like she she could kill someone (laughs) really i really believe that she that woman could kill somebody in that second and then it was kind of gone and she looked sort of um quite sedate and i and i thought that's a really good idea for a story and then i thought i don't think i'm really talented enough to give that to do that justice um so i think i and i never really did think i was talented enough to do it justice and and you know i i i think there were some things happening with my there was some restructuring with my historical publishers at the time so i wasn't so happy there which sort of pushed me to to do it and then when i started writing it i did think oh no i am really enjoying this and and like maybe it's maybe it's okay but there was a lot of self doubt in terms of i just i loved the idea so much i was almost like i couldn't bear to see what i might <laughs> do to it <laughs> I was kind of... what was it like starting did it feel like starting again in a way because you're moving into a completely although they're both thrillers I suppose it's it's a new genre you you might were you worried or were you was your agent worried that your audience might not follow you across that that threshold um yeah it's funny because publishers and agents never seem that worried the people that you're writing writers readers are not going to follow you but I am as a writer I'm always think I'm always worried because as a reader too I wouldn't necessarily yeah. and and those audiences are quite distinct your historical readers as I said tend to be older mm-hmm. um have certain things that they would like uh but but the experience of writing the book honestly was like running downhill it was it was like a really really nice experience that I, you just couldn't start it was like because one I had I'd not written before from three different perspectives and the perspectives of those three wives just sort of bumped off each other so I would write one and it was kind of charged the next and I'd be like thinking oh wow you know how would that person deal with this mm-hmm. and if that person thought that about them and I really really enjoyed writing like the same thing happened but three people saw it differently. I just loved that experience of, of doing it. And, and it just did, it did seem to write itself, which is a bit of a cliche, but it, that's how it felt. It was, it was just so much fun. And, and in a way that almost the ending wasn't what I expected when I started writing it. I had an idea of who the killer would be. And it wasn't that same person at the end. Um, it just did seem to have a life of its own in that book. Did it... Um... Because obviously the, your new book, Black, Black Widows, is released under Kate Quinn, the previous stuff, C.S. Quinn, and you've obviously had your erotica stuff as well under, under third name. And did it feel like you were kind of starting again, almost like a, a soft launch? I wonder what the reason was for change, the change of name. And the, was it just because yeah. it was a change of genre slightly, or timeline? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a funny one, isn't it? I think as, as writers, you know, uh, in terms of, having a successful career it's good to pick one genre and stick with it isn't it and just keep going so the thinking broadly was I wouldn't have wanted to disappoint anybody who was expecting a C.S. Quinn book because they might well be disappointed and and but I certainly didn't want to lose everybody because I think what often happens with with publishing is people completely rename themselves which I I personally think it's a bit seems a bit of a mistake because it's it seems like you don't want to lose everybody. There are going to be some people who mm-hmm. like whatever you write. Yeah, obviously, like your writing style and, and your type yeah, of pacing, and etc. Yeah, give you a go and and might be pleasantly surprised. Um, so yeah, so that was broadly the thinking. And then and then the other thing was my name wouldn't fit on the cover, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we shortened it because it's Catherine Quinn and that. Yeah, the short name and the long name is like annoying for a designer. And they said, <laughs> they said oh, do you want calf? Um, and I think I said, yeah, that's fine. And then apparently in America, calf isn't really a name. Like it's not a recognised <laughs> name. Right, okay. Then they went with Kate. But then there is actually another Kate Quinn, I think. Oh, oh I know there is another Kate Quinn who's, who's amazing. But we sort of just overlooked. It's one of those things where the book came out and it's like, oh, yeah, I've about that. <laughs> I hope she doesn't think that I'm trying to steal her. Ride, ride the coattails. Yeah, because she's amazing. <laughs> um, so that it's, was broadly the thinking. It is funny, though, isn't it? That kind of, you know, you, you're a writer, you you have all these ideas in your head, and yet there's a real 
um, scariness about moving outside the genre that you've done three or four books in and that and that fear that people would follow you or the people from the publisher world to put you off it and trying to keep you in your lane and it's it's true because you don't I just say you don't want to necessarily write the same thing the next 20 30 years you want to have you got these ideas you want to write them all but it's yeah so I think the way you navigate it is quite interesting I quite, I quite like that Thanks. Well, you you guys know it too, right? I think it's the thing is when, as you say, when you do have lots of ideas, you, you want to do lots of ideas, yeah. but the sensible thing is to knuckle down and do broadly the same thing and how do you yeah. marry those two things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always scary, isn't it? Right, writing a, a book is always scary. And yeah, there's a comfort zone, isn't there, to writing what you know people like to read and branch yeah. away from that's a little bit scary, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think it's, you know, it's quite a hard, I don't want to say it's a hard job because I love it. And I'm, I'm guessing you guys love it too, because I think we all, we all do, writers all do. So you can't complain. But at the same time, it's, it's very hard because you're feeling people's feelings all day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that is quite a hard and exhausting and upsetting business, you know, like kind of being that sort of emotional, in that emotional place all the time. Yeah. And was your approach to writing the historical fiction and the the contemporary thriller different in any way did the you know was there more planning required or research required for the historical fiction as opposed to the contemporary one i i think at that point i'd kind of uh perfect well perfected is perhaps the wrong word but i'd i'd learned a few things along the way about the writing process so i deployed those as as i learned them so it was different but i think it would have been different for my historical too. So broadly speaking, when I started writing um, my my bigger novels, I'll say, because the um, the romance ones were just kind of fun magazine reads that I wrote uh, in a linear yeah. fashion. Um, the, the novels that required plotting and moving parts, I would start off trying to write them in a linear way. And then by the end, tie myself into incredible knots and have to go back and, so I, I, by the time I'd written my fourth historical novel, I would try and be a bit more kind of limber with it and sort of write the beginning, but in a sort of sketchier kind of way and then go to the end and then try and write the end. And then often in the writing of the end, realise, I, I try and leave myself room in the beginning, basically, so mm. I could go back because I'd end up with these very kind of like tight, compacted yeah. beginnings with like loads of information stuffed in. Um, so I tried to address that. Um, so that was point point one that I changed, and then and I and I still do that. Try and sketch it roughly, but but through writing because I used to try and plot on a page, yeah. um, and now I find and I find that you can write something down as a scene, and then when you write the scene, I don't know if this happens to to you guys, but you write it, and then you realise in the act of writing it and being in the room that this can't possibly yeah. happen yeah. <laughs> very obvious reasons yeah. but until you're actually kind of in that zone yeah. it seems quite plausible so I, so that's what I do and then also I um read a book called Save the Cat which is quite yeah, yeah a very well-known mm. writing book and I tried to deploy that structural it, it helped me a lot I think people have different strengths and my um weakness was uh I would I didn't have a tight enough ending so my endings were a bit flabby I thought I was like better at beginnings but the endings needed more work and it really helped me at least feel like I was polishing up the end and and addressing the pressure towards the end and then I started using Scrivener yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah I like that a lot yeah and then I put the the, the save the cat template into Scrivener and then I used it like that. So, so yes, when I wrote Back Widows, I was doing all those things. And I think it was the first time I had done all those things, like from the start of the mm-hmm. book. And, and I did find it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, obviously, does all that stuff help with revising and dra- numbers of drafts and stuff? Because, I mean, is that something which you've kind of gone better at, like less drafts till you're happy with it? Or is it still a process of just... No, if anything, it would be more drafts, actually. <laughs> and, and I'm really looking forward to getting your notebook, in, in all seriousness, because... Um, because things like that I find really helpful. But yeah, if anything, I'm doing more drafts now. But I think that's good. I think that, I think in the beginning or in the middle, 
um I'm a very impatient person and I just wanted it done and done and, and in and now I think I have learned like I would never say I'm patient but I'm more able mm-hmm. to kind of accept that it's going to take mm-hmm. time and is revising something that you quite enjoy because for me that's a part of writing I enjoy I much prefer the redrafting than the initial draft I hate that and that's about I struggle with the most is that first draft on paper but the revising I quite enjoy that because you kind of see it coming closer together yeah to yeah same it's I'm the same. Well, I love so I love the the very first bit, the beginning, the initial rush where you're like, this is going to be great the whole world, and I don't like the bit afterwards where you you're like, this is never going to amount to anything, which seems to last a very long time. So I guess that's the you know the kind of my sister calls it the murky middle. So yeah, I wish we're after so that, true, having yeah. a dreadful time. I'm not getting any writing done, and she's like, "You're in the middle. You're in the middle. Go and do some more research," which is probably yeah, which is always good advice. Um, and then yeah, I, I love I love love redrafting because you can just work and work and work, can't you? And I really enjoy. I mean, if I if I didn't have small kids, which I do, I would I, you know I just do it sort of morning, noon, night. And then a bit more besides, and the redrafting you can do that, can't you? You can just you know, yeah, you can slot yeah. it in. It's easier to, yeah. to exactly. Yeah. And and what about um, editors' notes and agents' notes and things like that? How receptive are you to those? Oh, super receptive. I mean, like I'm so grateful to have them, and and I, you know, having sort of floundered around without a publishing deal, I'm pathetically grateful for any feedback of any kind, and. Also, ha- also being self-published, uh, my feedback was the readers' reviews, mm-hmm. and a I'm so grateful to have any feedback that spares me an awful, painful, embarrassing one-star review on Amazon, <laughs> um, and and b um, those readers' reviews I also learn from uh, or try to learn from, and. Uh, really really receptive I, I basically take the view that the reader is is always right and and I think even if like in some of my historical novels um I've had a few uh, reader comments which haven't been accurate as in they have been mistaken mm-hmm. in there was one that said that I'd, I got the wrong route through London or something through Watford it wouldn't have taken that long and um for, for various reasons I had described that in the book but I took the view I hadn't described it well enough. So they weren't wrong. Right. I was wrong for not making it mm-hmm. clearer, basically, that they had taken that perception. That was kind of on me. That's, yeah. that's more or less the way I view it. Yeah. And I think with the um, – so, yeah, like super receptive. But I think you get some that just – I mean, very rarely. I, I find, like, I get some that don't – it's not that they don't feel right. It's just they feel quite a bit minor and pedantic. But then at the same time, I'm like – well, I might as well. Yeah. yeah. Normally they're the ones that aren't any effort to add. They're just a bit like, really? Does anyone care? Okay. <laughs> I figure someone must. So I'll, I'll put that in. Um, but, the, but the reviews I also use a lot. And I've kind of got, and, and being self-published, I think is enormously helpful in realising that the, the reader is always right. Because they're the ones who buy the book. Yeah. And, I, I figure um, I basically have a policy that one star reviews essentially are people who are in the wrong place. You know, they've been very surprised by what they've got and yeah. disappointed and angry. So that's your cover is wrong. Your description is wrong. Um, and then one and two stars probably in that category. Um, so then I would, if that was, I would start looking at the cover and the description saying, well, how is that so different to what they hoped to get? Mm because they're furious um and then um and then the three because there's almost like you've tricked me with this book isn't it yeah. um so but then the three star review i listen to very carefully because because they're normally upsetting but valid mm-hmm. um so i think in the case of black widows i was i was very fortunate with reviews um um but and obviously uh, there are still reviews coming out because it's the paperback but um it tended to be that they they thought it would could, could, was a t- was a touch over long you know was it was, was a touch too wordy so for not for my next book after that I've kind of really addressed you know I've gone to really with a fine tooth comb and like stripped out anything that I thought but readers were very kind actually so well so far in this class with, with Black Widows. 
I mean, that um, that's a very healthy approach to reviews because, you know, past guests sometimes, you know, avoid looking at them or, you know, I, I can imagine, it, like, if you get a bad review, it can it can hit you quite hard even even if it's one review in a sea of 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 decent reviews sometimes uh, so using it as a way to improve the next thing you're working on i think is a is a very good piece of advice thanks well and also i don't i don't know if you guys feel the same but like with the i I think it's just a writerly thing but with the five stars and the four stars I still don't believe them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's made up. That's, you know, like someone's, Is that you know, like, yeah, that, that, that was very nice, but they don't really mean it. I mean, it's lovely to hear, but um, it's funny how that doesn't seem to really go in. You're like, no, Whereas no. the one or two stars, you're like. But they're the ones that you're like, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously you're someone who's done, your whole career has been writing, whether it's novels or travel writing, et cetera. So is something, is writer's block something that you've had to deal with across your writing career? And if so, how have you smashed through it? Oh, so like not until like this week, I think. Like normally I've been... <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Like, yeah, thanks. Um, I, uh, I, normally I'm, I'm very much of the um, Stephen King model of writing, not to compare myself to Stephen King because he's, he's a genius, but the, the, the model of turn up at nine, you know, work mm-hmm. till five, get a certain amount of words on the page. And I've always found that um, easy, you know, easy, perhaps easy is the wrong word, but possible yeah um and then yeah i find it I, but then i think with every book that goes by your standards go up don't they for the next book so at the moment i have struggled i think i am again in, in the murky middle just currently so i'm hoping the clouds will break and <laughs> enlightenment will dawn i'm just stuck on an ending and i kind of feel like i don't want to start the beginning until i know the ending mm-hmm. so is this a planning stage that you're in currently well, I've written quite a lot. I've, I've done quite a lot of a draft. I'm doing a sort of sketchy kind of draft. So I've got 20,000 words or so down. And normally at this point, I would go back and start writing. And But this time I'm like, no, no, because I always get to the end and, and, and realise I should have put this at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do that this time. This time I'm going to get the end really sorted so I can just whiz through. But mm-hmm. yeah, the end's always, I find the end, endings are hard. Yeah. Is the one area you really you really want to land nicely because it's the bit I kind of feel you could have a book that's like ninety percent amazing and the last ten percent's crap. That's the bit that you remember. So watching a film, you remember that bit walking out the cinema and you think that film was dreadful and it wasn't. It was just the ending was poor, but mm. such a big impact, isn't it? Well, actually, so like, even, even how, how many books have we all read which we were like loving it, loving it, loving it, and then you get to like the last little bit and it's like ah, oh, yeah, it's true. Well, even someone like Stephen King, who you mentioned, you know, he's, as you say, he's a genius. And but some of his books you get to the end of, and sometimes that's a task to get, there. <laughs> and and you feel it could have been wrapped up in a in a in a, a tighter way. But you know, so I suppose it happens to everyone, even people like Stephen King. Even people like Stephen King, yeah. Although I guess his gift is kind of being in the moment, isn't it? He's, yeah. Yeah, he would put characters in a scene and see where they go. Yeah. So that that's always harder, isn't it, to end books well when you're when that's your style. I'm kind yeah. of a bit more on the plot side. We're reading um, the Billy Summers, his new book, yeah. recently, and it's good. But it it um it just I just finished it this morning, and um, it goes off and it doesn't go anywhere at all where I thought it was going to go. It's halfway through, it kind of becomes a different book, and it's it's good, but it's like as you say, it's it's almost like. You just drop stuff in and then lets it run. And there's something about that which is quite interesting because it's not really like a super plotted. It's just like a, oh, I, I got the impression even he didn't realize something no, going to happen no, as he was writing. No, he up at his desk. What's going to happen today? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> yeah, but then also there must be a thing surely when authors become incredibly successful where the editors get nervous. Yeah, I wonder that as well. If, if they're like, yeah, he's like, don't tell me what to take up the books. I sell. Yeah, I tell you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's a hard one, isn't it? I, I hope I never get um, to the point where an editor can't tell me, you know, to do something that needs doing. No, but then if you if, you if you're in that, that position, point, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna become so successful that like, everyone hates me and I hate my editor <laughs> and I just got so rich. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be so bad. You're right. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be 
worst thing in the world. <laughs> um, you also, as well as as well as uh, the books and journalism, you write a, a food blog as well about eating um, scary food. I think is that what you described it as the food explorer, where you've yeah, in your yeah. travels you've written stuff. Uh, what, what I was going to just ask, what is the what would you class as the strangest thing that you've eaten? Because I saw I, some that were, <laughs> that were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can ask that very easily. And, and this is, so I, to, to sort of summarise, because we haven't read the book, so it's thing, I, I, re, I basically try and eat food that um, is, uh, would, be, would be seen as unpalatable in, in culturally diverse locations. So things like, I've eaten testicles, which were really nice. Um, and, um, and I don't want any analogies to my former writing. Um, that's unrelated. Um, but that was in Argentina. Delicious. Um, centipedes, insects, that kind of thing. Um, and, and duck embryo was a very strange oh. one. So like a half-formed chick in an egg. But, you know, it's really tasty. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad saying that because it was like a little baby chick. How do you, how like, do you cook it? They boil it and it's like, it's like chicken. It's like a, it's sort of like you'd expect. It's like um boiled egg mixed with chicken. That's how but, it tastes. But does it make I was going to say, I like a boiled egg and I like chicken. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like, if you don't like chicken, it's my, like, my, my problem is, it's just, it's just why? Like, like why not just let it grow and then, and you could have lots of chicken from it. But, you know, is it worth the effort of having a, a duck embryo? Or? Well, see, I've got chickens now because I had a lockdown um, moment. I'll say, um, and I <laughs> bought some chickens, and we we did have some chicks this year because uh, uh, a long reason for I dinner. We did not for dinner, for um, that we hatched some chicks, and it's bloody hard work. And like, getting those chicks live, it's not an easy process. So that would be my answer to that one. I understand more now having had. Chickens. Okay, so it's just easy. Actually, maybe it's easier. Just like, you know just what? It's, it's halfway there. Let's yeah. just, let's <laughs> yeah. just put it in the water in the boiling water. Yeah. Um, but the strangest, strangest food, um, without a doubt, was was dog. It was indescribably bad. Um, me and me and some friends went to a restaurant in Cambodia. It was this kind of shack place on the outside of town, and we had to get there by my friend making the noise of the dog um, in order to find it. Which I love her forever for doing. <laughs> like that's just the sort of thing. One of my friends. Um, so we got there. There was a a suspicious odor. Um, a sort of doggy, sewagey. Oh, oh dear! It was like not a good. I mean, I thought, yeah, I, and I like dogs, so it's it's calmer mm-hmm. for me. But it, so we got we got this. We ate this this dog. We had different thought. We had cold cuts of dog, um, which which was sort of bad, but kind of like we'd eaten them. A bit, bit liverish in flavour. And then there was another form of dog that I can't remember. And then there was like this stew, and I took a spoonful of the stew, and it was like sort of gelatinous dog tasting mm. fat and it was so bad I was trying not to retch and my friends said oh how is it how is the stew and I couldn't answer because I had my hand over my mouth and I was trying not not to kind of bring the dog back up onto the plate so they all thought it was good and they just dug oh, in no. like started it and I was like no no you know, no don't even and then we packed it all up because we couldn't eat it. And they, I think well, that was it. They, they, we said, oh, you know, we, we paid the bill. And they kind of were, it was one of those awkward moments where they were kind of packing it all up. So like, of course you'll want to take, look, you've got this dog you've left. You'll need to be taking this dog with you. In a, in um, a doggy bag? In a literally <laughs> doggy bag in these sort of takeaway containers. And then we put it in the, we, we get, went back in the taxi and my friend said, oh, you know, I what we're going to do? Should we just leave it in the taxi? Should we leave the dog? And then he was like, this is a conversation I never <laughs> is it is it just general dog like it's not by like breed I think there's a certain type of dog oh, there's a certain type they, of dog and it looks quite fluffy and cute as well I've seen pictures to my shame I've seen pictures since oh, and it did really make me think because the next day I actually didn't want to eat meat of any kind and I did think are we just hypnotized to think that meat yeah. is okay mm-hmm. and is it all you know is it I mean it is I definitely, I'd like to think I would try stuff like cow stomach or monkey brain. You know, I, that, certain stuff I would yeah, maybe yeah. try, but I feel dog, dog I feel is maybe. Culturally, it's a very yeah, difficult Yeah, psychologically, it's... I would struggle. I really like dog. I've got, we've got a dog at lockdown. And yeah. Before that, maybe, maybe I would probably tuck right in, you know, give three courses, but I think <laughs> yeah. right now I maybe, <laughs> I find, I find, I, 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 I suppose it's, it's a psychological thing. There's, there's no, 
there's no physiological reason. Is it? It's purely, as you say, it's a cultural thing that is. I think there is eat. maybe because they eat meat, and I mm-hmm. think generally you eat herbivores. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Actually, that's, that's that's yeah. I've heard a few folks say that argument before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah. My advice would be don't. <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think that's <laughs> enough of the experience. In that situation, I would politely decline. And and would you ever want to write? Um, in another form, so like a, a script or something like that, would that interest you at all? Yeah, I'd love to. And I often wonder if um, perhaps I would have been better suited to that um, because I love TV and and film, but I really struggle with scripts because I, it, it's not my, I've never read scripts growing up, mm-hmm. you know, in, in normal life, you, you don't, right? I yeah. mean, I don't know if that's, a, if there's sort of places you go to where you would as a normal course of schooling read scripts but I never did so I I think having not read a great body of scripts I'm really confused by what how much you would direct the director do you know what I mean like how yeah, much yeah, you yeah, would yeah. take because as a writer you do everything don't you you'd say what people wear what people say their facial expression and I'm you know in like confused I guess by how much of that goes into a script but a little part of me thinks that maybe when the kids are a bit older I might do like a screenwriting Mm-hmm. script something and see if maybe that might be something I could do. I mean, but the main difference that we've had from people that, that are both full-time screenwriters and those that have written books and scripts seems to be that, you know, the book is yours. You'll get your editor's notes and, you know, you can listen to them or not, but it's your yeah. thing. But mm-hmm. a script, it doesn't matter how much you've created it, it will be handed off and there'll be 20 other people that get a bite at it especially movie scripts i think more than tv but even tv and and it it's you have to be happy sort of handing it off and and letting it change in a way that that isn't the same as a book i think and the actors of course bring their own yeah absolutely yeah but that would be very exciting i think to see what an actor would make of the character and and what's next then obviously you're working on your next book as you've, you've as, you, as you've said a few times, but is there anything beyond that, or is that just the next thing that you're? Well, on? so I've, yeah, I've just I've just finished a book um, to do with. It was initially called the Lock In, um, but I we changed the title because I think Lock Ins are not Lock In Lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're not a title that, um, which is about a murder in a Australian outback pub with the two. Beautiful Californian backpackers end up working in this kind of roughneck or wigger pub. A local is murdered there in the frame, um, and it's kind of a little bit Me Too kind of like you know, did they crack under under the sort of sexual harassment, and how reasonable would that be, and um, and and did they do it anyway? Um, and then this one I'm doing at the moment is murder in rehab, so it's like a. Um, uh, drug rehabilitation someone someone dies and someone's uh, sis, someone's sister dies and she goes in the alive not dead sister she goes in suspecting foul play um and has to engage in group therapy with a potential killer so right. the, the idea is there's a sort of frisson of you know being therapized with a group of people who you may suspect that's cool like sort of that that sounds good yeah. so, so is is the the lock-in book is is that has that got a date to come out? Yeah, it's called it's called Blood Sisters now, um, which my editor my editor's title, um, Imad, um, lovely guy, uh, and great title I think, and that's coming out I think in April next year. There's always a long mm-hmm. delay with books, isn't there? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great title, Blood 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 Sisters. Like it's that, good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I'm not very smart. good with titles, so and I'm that, always yeah. very grateful for it. It calls back in a way to Black Widows as well, isn't it? You know. Yeah, there are links yeah, out there yeah. and a few words mm-hmm. sort of interplay. Yeah. And is that are you any are these all Kate Quinn novels, or are you going to switch back to your CS title? Yeah, they're Kate Quinn novels. I haven't got um, any plans to do any CS Quinn novels in the immediate future, mainly because I, I just don't have time. But I do have a, a really fun series that I'm really I, I do really enjoy. That's like a kind of female Scarlet Pimpernel that's set in the, mm-hmm. in the French Revolution. Um, that, that is enormous fun and if I have just because my kids are like five and seven and um so I don't have time to be doing two like yeah. different things so so hopefully at one point I'll come back and pick up that series Excellent. Yes. 
what is the last book that you read? The last book I read, there were two, and I can't remember which one I read in order. So I, I um, the last book I read actually was Mr. Love Man by um, Bernadine, and I'm not going to get her surname wrong. She's a, a prize-winning author. Everisto, no. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was a fantastic book. I really enjoyed that book. But I also recently read um, Shiver, which is the snowboarding. Oh, yeah, 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 Ali Reynolds. And, yeah. yeah. and they were both very similar, I thought, actually. both sort of sn- Well, they weren't similar books, but the, the concept of this snowy, you know, kind mm-hmm. of Agatha Christie type murder. And yeah. I love both those books. So I guess that's a... Um, yeah, a little snapshot of the kind of books that I've been reading. Nice. <laughs> and uh, what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Oh, no, this is t- terrible, these questions that put you on the spot. <laughs> no, your, your mind goes blank. You watched the episode this morning and your mind goes blank. I know, you? I know. I can't. I honestly, I'm so sorry. I can't think of that. And I do watch a lot of TV. Yeah, that or something so Oh, no, I do know what I last um, watched, actually. I, I watched a programme called, uh, but it's not very interesting. Sorry, I watched a programme called Made in Made in Mexico, because I'm trying to learn Spanish, which is like a Made in Chelsea, but with Mexican. <laughs> All right, um, okay. And I love it. And I can't understand a word of it. But, um, <laughs> no, you're not watching the subject was on. I do, yeah, I, I do, I do. Because I, I, thought, I, I thought, oh, I'm getting better at Spanish. But, um, <laughs> and then realised, like, absolutely not. But it's... Um, and it's really fun for the melodrama type plots. I love all those sort of shows. Nice. Cool. And uh, what was the last film you saw? Uh, I'm halfway through a film that's title is going to escape me. And I'm kind of looking at Tarek here because like, you've got a small baby, so you'll understand the mental, <laughs> <laughs> mental blackout that children create. Um, there's a really good film about seven activists who were put on trial. Oh, in the, the, oh trial of Chicago Seven. Chicago Seven, yeah. Yeah, so that's so I'm so I'm halfway through that film because I can only watch things in halves now because I'm so tired. <laughs> that's brilliant, um, though. That's I'm absolutely great. loving oh, yeah, it, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing the second half. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a really good, it's a good ending. I remember. And just a, like an amazing twist on the... I love how they actually don't go into their backstories at the beginning. They're just plunging straight Yeah, it just kind of just goes straight into it and you just kind yeah. of rolls with it the whole way through. Yeah, it's good. It's like, I think I think Sorkin's kind of courtroom drama stuff is my favourite. He's really good at that. Just, oh, Aaron Sorkin, I mean, what a guy. I know, I'm a, I love the guy. And there's, there's certain yeah. times you kind of think people wouldn't talk like that. You know, but when you, when you get characters who are really smart and are really good, it, it kind of clicks. It's, it's perfect. It's... Fantastic. Yeah, and who cares, right? I mean, who cares if the dialogues? But dialogues exactly. like that. Honestly... No, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, like, it's kind of like Tarantino dialogues. Like, no one talks like that in real life. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's fun to listen to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, oh, the very, very last thing we do is a super quick fire, either or. So there's, we can see there's no right answer, I like to say, apart from one. But the first one is CJ Sansom or Hilary Mantel. CJ Sansom. Okay. Uh, TV or cinema? Cinema. Fancy restaurant or street food? Street food. Uh, night owl or early bird? Early bird. And the last one, real book or e-book? Real book. Oh, unfortunately, that was the only one that <laughs> came disappointed to wrong, so that's <laughs> I thought you would have been writing my side with all the porn you were writing. <laughs> was I'm, so, I'm so I sorry. Oh, I was, I was like, this is going to be shooting. <laughs> it's it, it true um yeah i yeah i just like because i've got such a bad memory having a real book if i don't have a real book i often forget that i've even got it so <laughs> i like fair, enough, okay. tangible. fair, enough, fair enough. yeah but i will read your book on the ebook and i'm very much looking forward <laughs> to it. it sounds like a great concept You thought you had the ebook vote in the bag there, Tarek? I thought it was tied up. I thought for sure, as soon as she started talking about writing erotica, I thought, I'm in. <laughs> and I, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more, what a letdown. What an absolute, I, we had an hour to find out it was wrong. So that was a if, if you're not a regular listener, this is a question we ask all our guests, and uh, Tarek is, is very much the ebook advocate and uh, <laughs> has about five votes in his favour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day we're a silent majority market. Yeah, fine. Coming it. back, yeah. Fine. Uh, but that was a really good chat. A really good chat with Kate or Catherine or CS or whoever you may know. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, interesting 
rating style in planning yeah. terms, you know, writing a little bit at the start, jumping to the end, and then letting that influence the start again, kind of that. Sleep. Yeah, but I, actually, I, I, I know what I can, I can totally see how that would be a useful thing because, you know, I am quite bad at writing quite a rigid start. You know, you really want to pack it with detail at the start, yeah. and then that yeah. can give you problems by the end if your story changes. So totally. doing yeah. it in that in that way gives you a bit more leeway and probably ends up helping with with future drafts but um thanks very much to Kath for coming on to the podcast really appreciate her taking the time to do that as we said at the start black widows is out in paperback now um so you can go and pick that up at your bookshop or get the ebook version even i would 100 percent advise everyone to buy the ebook version yeah obviously ebooks are better <laughs> um and obviously you can also buy the welcome ebook to cooper of welcome to cooper and actually Next week's episode, which is the last episode in this season, is a special one because we have our worst guest ever. <laughs> I was going to say, you were finally getting the big guns in, in, into the studio. Yeah, no, next week, uh, if you can bear it, it will be <laughs> me uh, interviewing Mr. Ash Kanani himself uh, about Welcome to Cooper and his path to getting published, which is an interesting one, I know. And um, yeah, it will be great fun probably a bit different from our normal interviews yeah. and i'll have to come up with a different alternative to real book ebook i think because <laughs> yeah. yeah. i already know the answer to that That's one a slam dunk, <laughs> but yeah so i hope you can join us for next week's episode which as i say will be the last uh, in the season and then we'll have a short break and come back with more guests after that but otherwise if you enjoyed the episode uh, if you could give us a quick rating on apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using that would be great and of course, if anybody wants to get in touch, they can send us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at right underscore gear or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later.